morning. It's uh, it's good to see you. Those of you who are joining us in person are welcome. Those of you who are joining us online, it's it's uh, always interesting at the end of every week. Uh, every once in a while, I'll have a few people text me and say, hey, we were watching online today, and we missed being there in person, but we're glad to uh, at least get to see our Wellhouse uh, church family online. And so uh, we welcome those of you who are joining us that way. Uh, we started last week a series called We've Got You Covered, and uh, just to kind of recap a few things from last week, we had in uh, some folks from the Gateway Elementary School. Uh, we got to pray over all of our kids and our teachers here uh, at Wellhouse and pray over uh, the Gateway Elementary School as they started school uh, back this past week, and we were able to bless them uh, with some fun stuff to be able to do this week as their, their staff came back and began teaching, and uh, so that's that's awesome, and that's what this series is all about, is that uh, in our lives, there are always times of chaos, right? It, it, have you ever caught yourself saying, like, I know things are busy now, but in a few weeks or in a few months, and then you get to those few weeks or a few months later, and you're just as busy, things are just as hectic as they were before, it seems like things never slow down. And when we get into those seasons... Uh, we are often tempted to look internally. We're often tempted to kind of use our own resources, use our own time, use our own energy uh, for us. Uh, and that's just the gravitational pull of life. The gravitational pull is toward self. And the, one of the main teachings of Jesus is to continue to look out, to continue to see what the kingdom of God is doing or should be doing in the world around us. And so that's the message of this series is that we've got you covered is that, that Wellhouse Church made up of, of us, right, us Christ followers, that we're called to cover other people, that, that we have them covered. We have them covered in prayer. Uh, we have them covered in support. Uh, we have them covered so that, that as we see their need, that we're continually looking for ways to help them because that's what God has done for us. Last week, we also mentioned to you that uh, we, uh, we have been in some negotiations for uh, a more permanent place for us. That's been a prayer for a really long time here at Wellhouse. And, and so we wanted to, uh, for, if you weren't here last week, just let you know that that's something that we're um, currently in the process of doing. And, and so we ask you to continue to be praying about that. That's something that's really exciting for us. Um, it's certainly not a, a done deal at all. And so because of that, because we're kind of right now in, in talks with them, we've we have to keep some things under wrap, but what we want to let you know is the space that we're looking at is a space that we feel like God is calling us to. Um, uh, it's a space that can be used for multi-different things, to partner with other uh, ministries and other things going on in the area to be able to better minister to Goodlettsville. That's really what we want to do. We see the church as more than just a one-time-a-week thing where we show up on Sunday and we, we have our hour together and we go, but that we're continually reaching out in the community all week long. And so that's one of the things we're really excited about and we want to share with you. So continue to be praying for us. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Dave or not, but Dave grew up in a, uh, a really difficult home. 
he was the kind of kid that as he went through school, uh, all of his teachers, you know, as they inherited Dave into their class, they had heard the horror stories of, of Dave and how he acted and the various things, the shenanigans that would go along with that. And as he progressed in his teenage years, he was in and out of trouble and in and out of uh, issues with law enforcement and People who loved Dave and love his family would try to love on him. There was a local church that continued to try to reach out to him when he was in various stages of trouble, but he was always super cantankerous and he never, you know, he never was open to any of that stuff. And Dave eventually got married and, and, uh, and he wound up having children and those children kind of became a lot like Dave, right? They, they were super hard to deal with. And over the course of time, you know, this, this whole family just kind of had an aura about them that was really, really difficult. No matter how people tried to love them or serve them or reach out to them, no, no matter how much the local church tried to do for them, it was never met with any kind of acceptance from Dave until one day. One day, Dave was out uh, in his backyards, and, and he was kind of cleaning up his, his ground there, and he was bit on the hand by a rattlesnake. And so, of course, he's rushed to the hospital, and things are, are kind of picking up quickly. Dave's a little bit older at this point, so his health is quickly declining with the, the poisonous bite from, from this snake. And so they actually wind up calling uh, the 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 hospital winds up calling the on-call chaplain, which happens to be the pastor of the church that has reached out to this family multiple times throughout the years. So the pastor shows up at the bedside, and of course, Dave and all of his family are around. And so they said, you know, would you pray for, for Dave? And so he circles up with the family. He begins to pray, and he says something like this, God, we thank you for the rattlesnake. And everybody kind of opens up their eyes. And they said, you know, God, for years and years and years, Dave has been one of the most cantankerous people we have ever met. We have tried to love this man. We have tried to serve this man. We have tried to do everything we can. But this man is so nasty and so vile that it took a snake bite for us to be able to open up the doors to be able to serve him. So God, would you send more snakes one for each person in this family until they'll all invite you into their life. Now, I don't know about you, but that prayer seems a little bit uncomfortable to me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the story that we're going to read today seems a little bit uncomfortable to me too. It's a story found in the book of Jonah. It's an Old Testament story. If you have your Bible, you can go on open, and I'm going to give you plenty of time to get there because Jonah is a really short book in the Old Testament. A lot of times we don't, uh, don't find it very easily. But we're going to be looking through the story of Jonah, and really what happens in this story is God sends a bigger, badder snake, right? As something to get Jonah's attention because his willingness is, is just isn't there. Last week we talked about the idea as we look to cover other people instead of necessarily covering ourselves that we have to be open to acceptance. That God might use some of the most painful parts, some of the most raw parts, some of the parts of our life that we're not the most proud of 
to help other people. And that's something that God might do in your life. And so being willing to accept that God would use us in our brokenness to help other people. And today we're going to talk about the idea of willingness, of willingness. We're going to start in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, Jonah, now stop right there. Jonah is a prophet. And when you think about prophet, sometimes when I was growing up, I thought of the word prophet as like a fortune teller. And that's not really what a prophet is. A prophet is somebody who is speaking to the people on, on behalf of God. And sometimes that comes as a warning. Sometimes that comes as, listen, this is what God is doing, or this is what you should be doing. And so this is a story about God and a man of God. And this is what God says. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah went and ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. I've tried all week to pronounce that without sounding like I have a lisp and it just can't be done. Tarshish is, is really a, uh, it's an area that is about, if you look at where Jonah was when he was called by God, it's about 2,500 miles west. 2,500 miles. Now, there's no cars. There's no bullet trains. There's, there's no easy way to get there. And God is calling him to Nineveh. Uh, and Nineveh is about 550 miles east. So really what happens here is that that Jonah is called by God. God says, hey, listen, I need you to go to Nineveh. There's some, there's some terrible things uh, that's going on there. And Jonah says, I think not. And instead of staying even where he is, he decides he's going to go as far away from Nineveh as he can possibly go. Almost 3,000 miles, in fact. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for a port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord set a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo uh, into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? That's, that's what my family says to me all the time. We're doing various things. Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice so that we won't perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah and they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble fall on us? What kind of work do you do? And where do you come from? And where is your country? And what people are you? He answered, I'm Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they said, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. That's an interesting statement. I don't know what kind of fare that they had to pay or how they got on the boat, but at a certain point, he was like, you know, I'm getting on this ship really to run away from God, as if that could be possible. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, 
what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it'll become calm. I know it is my fault and this great storm has come upon you. We won't read through the whole story of of Jonah today, but if you remember, if you grew up in church, you remember the story of Jonah that they throw him overboard and he's swallowed by this big fish. He spends three days in the belly of the fish. He, after the third day, he, he finally <laughs> prays to God and he relents and he says, all right, God, you, you're in control. Fish spits him out and he winds up going eventually to Nineveh. What's interesting about this story is that I think there's a lot of times we feel like when God calls us to something, it will be successful. When God calls us to a certain thing, it will, it will be successful. It will, it will all work out. In fact, we, we use phrases like that. It, God's got us all going to work out. We've heard that before. We've said that before. I've said that before. But the truth is, and you and I know this, that although God will work out all things for good for those who love him, not everything is successful. In fact, God's call does not guarantee our success. God's call does not guarantee our success. Now, I know what you're thinking. That doesn't sound very scriptural. That doesn't sound very good. It certainly doesn't sound very uplifting. But let me tell it to you in a different kind of way so maybe we can wrap our head around the problem here with Jonah and his success. When I was growing up, we got a dog. I was in fifth grade, and my parents finally caved, and we got a dog. The dog's name was Scruffy, and uh, he kind of fit his name. He was, uh, he was half Beagle, half Dalmatian. Yeah, put that together. Uh, I don't know how that ever happened. Ugly kind of dog. That dog had the rambunctiousness of a Dalmatian, the hyperness of a beagle, was always into everything. And I promise you, if you were getting ready to eat, that dog was right there with you. But if you called its name, it would never come. It's almost as if it did not know its name, although we gave it its name as it was six weeks old. And he lived for about 13 years and didn't matter from day one to day to year 13, I promise you, if you called that dog, come on, Scruffy, come on, come on, come on, come on, it would just stare at you like you were speaking a foreign language. And it would never, he would never come when he was called. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't our problem. See, God's call does not guarantee our success. Or maybe a better way of saying that is God's call doesn't guarantee our willingness to participate in that call. Just because he calls us into something, maybe he says, all right, listen, I want you to be a part of a local church. And the local church doesn't look like just showing up on a Sunday. The local church, like surrendering yourself, sometimes it's surrendering all the things that you, you, your preferences or your desires or your time or your resources or your money. It's, it's, that's a part of the local church. And then we look around at churches and we say, why aren't churches working anymore? And I wonder if a part of that doesn't look like it's not successful on God's part. It's, it's our willingness to participate 
and the calling of God. I forgot to mention, hang on to your seats this week, so. It leads me to a thought that I think is really important for us as Christ followers. If you're, if you're just kind of new to this thing, if you're questioning this thing, if, if you're not really sure about God or, or what that looks like, you're still trying to figure out the whole Bible. Is it true? Is God real? Maybe this isn't for you, but I need you to know this for sure. If you are a Christ follower, then you are called. You're called. You're called by God. Oftentimes I have people say like, how were you called into ministry? And I tell people this, this I, I did not, some people will tell you like, I got into ministry because that was, you know, what my great granddad did and, and, and his son and my dad and then me. And, you know, that was just, that was just what I knew I was going to do from day one. Or maybe they're like, you know, I just, I felt God's presence on me. And it was like, it's great power for that. And I knew from that moment on that this is what exactly was going to happen. That was not me at all. I was duped. That's how I got into ministry. Uh, I, I, was, I, I, I had no plans of ever doing what I do now. Now, I love. I wouldn't change it for the world, but that's not how it started. It started by, by one of my good friends who is a youth minister who said, listen, I need some extra chaperones. Would you help me chaperone a youth trip? And I said, ooh, that sounds awful. Why would I ever volunteer to do that? He said, I'll tell you what, I'll come over and I'll help you clean out your garage if you just chaperone this event. And I thought, uh, cost, all right, yeah, that sounds like that would be about the same kind of torment. Sure, let's do that. And I went, and God changed more than just the kids' lives. He changed my life. Is the more I surrendered to him, the more he called me into something that I was never really fully prepared for. I never really saw myself in, but all of a sudden God started opening up these doors. And God started giving me things in my life that were giftings that I was like, all right, God, this must be what you want me to do because I don't know what else to do with this thing. And so I'm just going to surrender myself willingly to what you want me to do. But here's what's true for you too is that God has called you, and it may not be the audible voice of God who says, all right, listen, here's what I need you to do next. This is it. Man, that would be awesome, and I would love that. But most of the time, what it is, is just a surrender of your will. It's just to say, all right, listen, God, today I'm going to have to battle between what I really want and what you really want. So help me be, to be willing to do what you want me to do. And if you are a Christ follower, then I can tell you 100% that God has a calling for your life. In fact, Paul in the New Testament, he says it like this. If you're a Christ follower, then you're a part of the body. And there's all kinds of parts of the, of the body. Right? We have ears and lips and nose and feet and knees. We have all kinds of parts of the body. But you're a part of it. And he calls you to be a part, to join the body of Christ at work in the kingdom. It's bigger than just one area. It's bigger than one church. But you're called by God. In this story of Jonah, as we read, he he decides that he's not going to do what God calls him to do. And he runs away. 
And I don't know about you. I can think about some times in my life for sure when I chose specifically to kind of push that away and go. But I find it really interesting that the writer of this story throws in a little bit of, just a little tidbit of information that didn't need to be there. And I find this interesting in the Bible when those little tidbits of information are there because getting paper back in in this time was really tough. And so if it's written down, it's pretty important. And in verse 3, there's there's this tiny little tidbit of information that says about Jonah that he, he gets to a ship that's going for the port that he wants to do. And it says, after paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed for his destination. Now, I don't know if the writer's just trying to say, listen, Jonah was running away from God, but he still had morals. He wasn't going to go on the ship, you know, just kind of hijacking that thing or sneaking on board or whatever it is. But but I, I don't know what the point of that is, but I do know this is that when we choose rebellion in our life, we will often pay a fare and we will go nowhere. This is the story of Jonah. Do you notice that Jonah never makes it to Tarshish? He never makes it there. Where does he make it? The middle of the sea somewhere. Inside of a fish somewhere. Spit up on a beach somewhere. But he never makes it to where he's hoping to go because rebellion will always, almost always lead us to paying a fare and going nowhere. And some of us in our lives, man, we have chosen rebellion and the fare that we had to pay for that is severe. Some of us, our biggest regrets are the fare that we had to pay for our rebellion. We think we have it figured out. We think we know what life is about. We think we have, we've, we've looked at all the costs and looked at all, all the reward, and we've chosen to, to dive deeply into, into the cost thing. It'll never, ever, ever catch up with us. And then all of a sudden, one day, our whole world comes crashing down around us. Because when we choose rebellion, we will pay. And we will feel like We have gotten nowhere. You been there before? This story of Jonah continues on. He spends three days, three nights in the belly of a fish, spit out onto dry land. He finally surrenders to God, and he's like, all right, what do you want me to do? And God says, remember I told you I want you to go to Nineveh and preach And tell them that, listen, they have some time, they need to get their lives straight, or I'm going to destroy it. And so, Jonah relents, and he goes to Nineveh, and Nineveh is this great hubbub of a place. In fact, it's it's the capital city of Assyria. And if you know anything about Assyria, then you you know that that was one of the places uh, that one of the the groups of people that wound up dominating the Israelites. And so as you can imagine with Jonah, who is an Israelite, he, he's looking at that and he's thinking, I don't really want to go there. I don't really want to do this thing. But the city of Nineveh is great. It's big. 
And he winds up making the trek there, and it's, it's about a three-day journey through the entire city. But he doesn't even get through the whole city. He begins preaching and talking to the people, and he says, listen, you're doing wicked stuff. And you need to get your life straight with God because if you don't, disaster will fall on you. And I can't help but thinking as Jonah is talking about this, he's talking about some of his own story. He's saying, listen, you don't trust me. You don't want to live in rebellion. But it took a lot to get him there, didn't it? It took a lot before Jonah wound up realizing what it was that he needed to do. Here's what's interesting to me, is that we're not just talking about Joe Blow, average guy that God says, all right, listen, here's what I want you to do, something hard you've never done before. We're talking about Jonah the prophet. We're talking about Jonah the guy who, as he begins to pray in the belly of fish, he's quoting scripture after scripture after scripture because he knows it so well. This is Jonah. He knows exactly what God wants him to do and exactly what God's call is in his life. But he doesn't do it right away. And that's because there's a big difference between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing, isn't there? Something that I said, I've said a lot throughout my life, and uh, if you're a partner here at Wellhouse, you'll hear me say it a lot. I've probably already said it before, but knowing rarely equals doing. We know lots of great stuff to do. And you know what? We struggle with doing most of it. How many of you know it's the right thing to do to follow the speed limit. How many of you know this? How many of you do that from time to time, right? Every once in a while, you, how many of you know, how many of you know that it's probably beneficial for you, right, to, to go and work out, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day and maybe at the gym or how many of you know that's the right thing to do? And then how many of us do the right thing. How many of us know, right, that that, that that donut is probably not the better choice, there's probably something to eat better for you, but yet you grab it anyway because knowing rarely, rarely equals doing. It's this problem that we have as a human being that we look at things and we say, you know what, I know what I'm supposed to do, but man, I have a really, really tough time carrying it out. It's one of the, my favorite things about Paul. As Paul begins to open up in the New Testament, he says, I have this internal battle within myself. I don't know what my problem is. I know the right stuff to do, but man, I cannot carry it out. It seems like every time I try to do good, man, the wrong option is right there for me. And that's the one that, that, that I choose every time. And so I'm caught in this vicious cycle. Who's going to save me? And he ends with, there's nobody that's going to save me from myself but Jesus Christ. I mean, you've probably felt yourself in that same battle before. Where knowing rarely equaled doing. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount earlier today with the new song that we sung. And as Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, he does so in a way that's so profound. 
that I think sometimes we miss how meaningful and important it truly is. You, you remember the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and all the various teachings that were upside down, right? He goes through the blessed are the poor, and we're thinking, man, blessed are the poor? That's not good. Yeah, blessed are those who grieve. That, that grieving's not good. And he goes through, you know, you've heard it said eye for eye. You've heard it said, you know, revenge, maybe we'd say revenge is sweet. He says, no, 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 that's not how we live. And he goes through all of these upside down teachings and he gets to the end and he tells this parable. It's a parable that if you grew up in the church, you remember it well because there were emotions that went with it, right? The wise man built his house upon the, there you go. You were in the same class as I was. And it was one of my favorite songs growing up because, and it was probably yours too, because the foolish man's house went splat, right? And what was Jesus's teaching in that parable? When I was growing up, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what, what the teaching is, but it's fun to do the whole splat part. That was my favorite part. But Jesus' teaching in this is that there are two people and they heard the same message, But only one of them did something with it. They went through the same stuff. They had the same calamities. The, the winds blew and beat against both of their homes. But only one of them put something in practice. Only one of them was willing to do something with what they knew. See, Jonah knew what God wanted him to do, but didn't want to do it. Eventually, God got his attention, and he went, and he preached. And then we get to a really interesting chapter, verse 4. Starting in verse 1, it says this. As, as, Jonah, as Jonah begins to preach, all of what's interesting is that all of Nineveh, around 600,000 people, begin to turn to God and pray to God and say, God, please give us another chance. And it says this in, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah, to, to Jonah, as they turned to God, it says he seemed like this was really wrong. And then he became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is why I tried to, to for, uh, forestall by fleeing from Tarshish? I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He says, this is the whole reason why I didn't want to do it in the first place. Because I knew you were going to send me and I knew that they were going to turn to you and I knew that you were going to love them. Isn't that weird? Does anybody find that strange? That a man of God, a prophet of God, would get mad when people turned to God and God accepted them? I think there's two reasons for this. The first reason, as a lot of theologians look at this, is that one of the ways that they knew that a prophet was a true prophet is that things would come true, what they said. And so what Jonah was preaching is that calamity is going to come on you because there's a God who you're, you're railing against. And so this discredits Jonah's uh, his, his word to them. And that seems like that could be true. 
And another possible thought here is that Jonah so despises this group of people that he wants calamity to come on them. And I don't know if you've ever been there before. But I think we're increasingly living in an age where most of our statement, we may not say it like this, but it's like, if you don't agree like me, if you don't think like me, if you don't behave like me, if, if we don't see things politically straight or theologically straight or whatever it is, then you know what? You can just go to hell. And this is exactly where Jonah is. He's like, listen, the whole reason I didn't want to do this is because I know how compassionate you are. And I know if I preach this message that, that the people are going to turn to you and you're going to accept them, and I'm not okay with that. See, a part of being willing to be used by God is to be used by God in places that you would probably never choose on your own. Man, I'm telling you, there's so many times in life where I'm like, all right, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to use me. And then the next thing that comes out is something that I'm like, ooh, but not for that. <laughs> not in that way. All right, God, listen, I, I'm ready. I want to be your servant. And then all of a sudden, my wife reminds me of ways that I have not been serving her. And she gives me specific areas that I can do better. I'm like, well, I was really thinking about something different here. You've been there before. See, a part of being willing is accepting the fact that God is going to put you into places that are so tough that you'll want to reject immediately. That sometimes when it comes up, man, it's going to anger you. And you're going to surrender anyway. Man, if you'll come back up to the stage as we kind of close out our thoughts here together. The story of Jonah ends in this amazing way. Where the city of Nineveh is spared. Where hundreds of thousands of people, they come to know God. And they have a relationship that's built with him. And it's through one person. I've told many of you before, I, I don't shy away from this because I think it's what fuels my ministry, but when I was younger, I wasn't necessarily the greatest of people, and I had my bumps and bruises along the way, but in my senior year, I, I, something clicked in me, and I realized that time was short, and I began to reach out to some of my friends who, who weren't Christians and began to invite them to have a relationship with God. One of my friends who began coming to church wind up he wound up going his uh, after a senior year to a Christian college and majoring in Bible and working in churches and helping in so many various ways and teaching and talking and telling the story of, of Jesus in so many different avenues far beyond my reach. 
And I think to myself over and over again, I don't know how many lives he's impacted in the time that, that he's been alive and, and, and through the course of his training and teaching and, and preaching and helping and serving and ministering and counseling and all the things that he's done. I, I don't know how many lives he's impacted, but I know this, that if you're willing that God can use you to accomplish enormous things, See, it took a small ask from me eventually one day. Hey, listen, I'd love to have you come with me to churches one time. Man, I need to tell you about Jesus. And through that, God began to do some amazing things. It was far outside of my reach. See, the reason why my family moved here it's because I believe that there is a God who can do enormous things through small circumstances. When you're willing to give just a little bit, man, God can do incredible things through that. See, I believe in that, church. Are you with me? And what if just you had a little bit of willingness to say, all right, God, listen, I'm going to let you push me way outside of my comfort zone because I know that there is never growth that happens in a comfort zone. So, God, you can, you can take me past my comfort zone, and I'm willing. What would God do with that? What things would change through that? What enormous things could God do through that? See, in order to cover somebody else, sometimes... You just have to be willing. This week, I encourage you to be praying for our Goodlessville police. I, I, uh, I don't know what they go through on a daily basis, but I know that they're willing to show up and serve in many different forms. We've asked you this week to, to drop off cards, drop off supplies. We're going to be dropping those off this week and, and blessing them. But over the course of, of, of this series, we're going to be looking at various ways we can cover people. Next week, we have some really exciting stuff. But the question remains, are you willing? God, we thank you for pushing us outside of our comfort zone. We thank you for stories like Jonah that remind us that just because you call us doesn't guarantee our success. That we have to submit to your will. That we have to acknowledge you as Lord of our life. Or it's all for God. So God, help us to surrender ourselves to you to go where you call us to go, to stop living in rebellion in certain areas of our life, those little pieces where we want to hang on so tight. God, would you help us to release those so we can fully be obedient to you, so we can fully be willing to go where you've called us to go. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. For you alone are worthy of all of our praise. We pray all of this in the power and might of your son, Jesus Christ.